Welcome to Blue Notes On Air. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. There's a perception out there that ethical investing has to generate lower returns and other funds and I think our credentials suggest that that's not the case in the past. Today, Andrew Cornell chats with ethical partners Nathan Parkin and Andrew Wilson and ANZ's Jill Campbell about why doing the right thing can still pay off. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Ethical investing to us um, is a couple of things and it's a, it's a broader way, array of, of factors that, that we look at to, de- to determine whether a, a company is in fact going to fit our investable universe. Um, first of all, we look at traditional things. So, you know, we're, a, we're an investor who needs to make money for our clients as well. So we look at balance sheet, we look at cash flow, we talk to management teams, um, but we also look at uh, what, what country a business operates in and we exclude a bunch of countries for risk. Uh, we also look at what industry a company is in and we exclude a bunch of industries for risk. Um, we also look at human rights policies and we also look at supply chain policies and we also look at uh, things like environmental policies and carbon emissions and targets and we also look at water waste and energy type initiatives within companies. Um, we came up with them because they're practical screens. We think they're things that we can get information on at companies. We think we're, they're things that we, we feel like we can ask companies to be more transparent about in a lot of cases. Um, only four out of ten companies that we've assessed out of about 220 actually talk about supply chain at all. Um, so we think that number's really too low. And they're things that we need to be able to assess. We can explain how we invest to others and really understand it ourselves. It has to be practical and uh, common sense enough for us to apply in the, in the stock market. And Andrew, maybe as the analyst, what are the steps to go through you know, what Nathan was talking about there to get to yes or no? And the supply chain management thing's interesting. How does that fit into it all? Well, firstly, in terms of the yes or no, there's the universe that's created, which has 140 to 150 stocks currently. That, that's, they're the stocks that have passed the, the human rights, environmental industry, uh, et cetera, checks. And then we go about assessing balance sheet. Um, and we've got quite strict filters around that. We've, we go around assessing valuation uh, and management quality and issues like cash flow, et cetera. And then from there, we'll make a decision about whether the stock's attractively priced for us. Um, with respect to your question on on supply chain, uh, the, the issue in the, the advent of modern slavery legislation has helped bring that to the fore. So you've seen that in the UK, as an example, and a lot of there's a lot of dual listed companies here, which are, which are bringing that to Australia, and as well as that, it's becoming an, an issue to, in Australia. And there's a lot of great disclosure around the auditing of supply chain. So we meet with, we've met with a whole bunch of supply chain experts who can help us talk to those issues, which mean we're better informed, or much better informed when we're talking to our potential invest investee companies. An investor in one of your funds. Are they, in a sense, making a philanthropic decision to say, okay, I'm going to accept a slightly lower return because I know it's ethical, or are you actually competing on the same valuations? Yeah, we think there's a perception out there that ethical investing has to generate lower returns than other funds, and I think our credentials suggest that that's not the case in the past. Um, we, yeah, we believe that, uh, that, that there isn't a sacrifice for, for investing you know, in line with your values. Uh, we believe that we uh, have the capability and the investment uh, credentials to, to buy the right companies at the right price and, and, and have them pass our ethical filters at the same time. We think uh, you can be a, 
uh, a performance-focused investor and deliver that outcome uh, for our clients. Certainly that's our intention and it's our belief that we can deliver that. Could you deliver a premium because of the way you invest? Um, experience tells us that that is possible. We think that, um, well, part of, part of good returns is, inv- is, is avoiding risk and all of the things that we talk about with respect to the, the ethical filters that we apply um, go towards business risk uh, ultimately. So if we can avoid identifiable risks up front and end up with a lower risk investable universe when we buy the cheapest of those and we think you know the companies we believe are the best opportunities with respect to valuation um, it should deliver a lower risk uh, reasonable returning portfolio and certainly that's uh, when we set the business up that's our that's our goal mm. uh, and jill uh, you're ANZ's investor relations head I am. these kinds of investors ethical investors mm. I mean, they have been around for a while, but are you seeing more of them come across your desk, ring you up? I'd like to think that every investor is ethical, Andrew. Uh, What I'm seeing is it's certainly, and it goes to a point that Nathan just made, which is I'm seeing more funds consider the risk management implications as part of this. So, for example, if you've got your head around reputation risk or you know what whatever the peculiar issues are for your sector it should say that you have a better holistic attitude to risk as an organization and i remember talking to the sri team at amp a few years back and that was certainly one of the things that statistically they could prove was that without question the companies that um took a a holistic view of risk which is essentially what these guys are saying we're more likely to survive and thrive and and still be in business going forward. So what we're seeing is um, and and as, as you want as you can imagine, usually it's typically in the bigger funds to start with. Uh, ESG um, people in the firm that we talk to about perhaps different things than we might talk to the funds managers about, but more often those those two people are in the one meeting. So We've worked on improving disclosure. We have a lot of um, two-way conversations. We learn a lot from those conversations. It's really interesting to to hear how the market is thinking about non-financial metrics. And I think what's become a bit of a misconception is that the market wasn't interested in non-financials or thinks they're fluffy or what have you, and that's absolutely not the case. It's really be rigorous around how you're talking to and measuring your non-financials and articulate to us clearly how they impact on your management and financial decisions around the company. So, I mean, you mentioned ESG there, which stands for, I hope I'm right, Environmental, Social, Social and, and Governance. And governance. Yep. Uh, a lot of big funds now either have quite serious divisions in Absolutely. that or you know, there's funds devoted to that. And yep. you, you mentioned that you're responding to that, the bank's responding to that. Yes. So what sort of things extra is the market asking you, or ESG investors asking you to provide? Sure. So, look, it would be fair to say up until probably three or so years ago, it was probably more governance questions than anything else, which which makes sense. But it's broader than that these days. So it will be things like the policies that sit behind how we lend. How do we think about um, lending to this sector or that sector? Um, how do we think about managing our people how do we deal with disputes? How do we deal with um, issues when they arise? 
Uh, it could be climate change questions or rather how do we think about our role in the climate change piece? What does ANZ do in in the um, uh, not-for-profit sector? So how do we think about our community responsibilities, those, those sorts of things? And again, it's really looking for how well-rounded are you as an organisation and how embedded in your decision-making processes are... Um, the kind of purpose uh, ethical questions that you should really be looking at as an organisation. Mm. And Andrew, again, you know, from your perspective, does Jill provide enough? You know, do you want big <laughs> companies you know, like ANZ to be giving you different information, more information? You know? well, I think the disclosure that ANZ, for example, provide has for a long time been very strong. There's always more issues that can be discussed. There's always more granularity and everyone learns clarity, that over time. Think, yeah. um, but one issue lends itself to further disclosure right. on on that. So, so yeah. And as this evolves and as the, the fund matures, mm. are you getting more particular questions that you want companies to be able to answer? There's a lot of work to do across the board with respect to disclosure around human rights policy, supply chain, environmental considerations in business and perhaps even where, where companies do business. So there's a lot of work to do there. We, we think there's... We're very early in the piece in terms of asking for some of that disclosure. Um, a, a business like ANZ um, does um, address things like, um, you know, supply chain and second-tier suppliers and goes right back through that to make sure that the standards are applied. Um, we also like that there's palm oil certification, you know, in lending and there's, um, you know, less lending or no lending new coal-fired generation plants and there's a lower carbon footprint for the lending portfolio as well as the business. You know, there's a lot of areas that are being that are being done um, by, by by this company and by, by ANZ um, in particular, but across the board, you know, we think there's a long way to go. You still encounter people who say, well, it's not a company's role, it's not an investor's role to make ethical decisions. You know, it's up to the individual. Uh, it's not up to you to tell us that climate change is real or not. Um, clearly, they're underpinning a lot of your decisions. You've made a few clear choices there. Yeah, look, uh, I think it goes back to risk, and there's, a, there's more and more examples, uh, both <clears throat> in Australia and around the world, where um, practices in business has led to poor financial outcomes for shareholders. You know, you've only got to look at uh, companies that operate in in parts of West Africa and the effect on shareholders when, when bribery and corruption issues turn up. Um, board governance issues in Australia have become more and more prevalent. Um, and the effect on shareholders is is meaningful. And so, you know, we're looking to, to identify risks up front and avoid those before we make the investment decision. Um, and hopefully, as we, as we said before, is end up with a, a lower-risk, um, identifiable company list. And is it, Nathan, I imagine from conversations that we've had before, it would be a reasonable expectation that sometimes companies will get things wrong. You, What are you looking for then? What do you want to see then? Yeah, when, when companies get things wrong, we, we would like to see um, an admission of that. We would applaud that as investors because I think when you... When you admit something's gone wrong, you've forgot the mandate to change that, and that's really important. And I think if if the market was to punish um, that type of disclosure, right. then we'd be a buyer. You know, if we if we can see proper, um, accountable, transparent things being done, um, and an admission of something going wrong, you know, I, I wouldn't. Well, 
I wouldn't be afraid of disclosing that because I think it's a I think it's a good move to actually go and and fix the problem. Mm. Um, if things are being hidden, then they probably won't be fixed. But if they're on the table, then I think there's a there's a proper mandate to go and d- address it. And do you look at um, you, you would look through the remuneration structures I'm imagining for companies and mm. looking at how they reward what they reward for, etc. Yeah, we do. Um, I think there's a there's a uh, people work towards incentives. We know that, sure. and um, I think when the incentives are struck properly, and you know whether they be what other people might call soft issues, I think those those you know, we wouldn't call them that. We'd call them risk measures, and we call them behavioural aspects that are important. Um, but more, they can be incorporated into uh, a day to day business. I think you'll get better outcomes and perhaps less reputational risk. Yeah. So not way. just how you do, but how you how you behave when you're doing it yeah the, in- yep. the incentive structures are are important because they can drive behavior absolutely so if they're properly struck with the right measures um yeah, i think that's important to get right up front and would you consider yourselves activist investors to the extent that you take to a company if you don't do this we're going to you know raise opposition we're going to sell um, we would uh, we would call ourselves ad advocate investors, um, not 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 as probably uh, down the down the line as activists, but we would advocate for certain things to happen. We would advocate for more disclosure. We would advocate for you know certain things to be done in in a proper way, in a responsible way, because um, yeah, we think that that will get better outcomes. So we we will, I guess, go um, out more publicly as as we grow and as we see things that we think. Are required it, at the end of the day we're looking for for everyday companies that do things well so they don't have to have a particular purpose and I, you know I, I believe that an energized workforce does believe something about what they're doing every day and that that's important um, but we we want to invest in in everyday businesses that happen to have higher standards perhaps in terms of how they deal with uh, their customers and their workforce and and others around the company that also do work for them and, and with them um, so those things are, are, are very helpful, but we're looking. You know, we, we could invest in in any business, really, a paint business or a paper recycling business or a, or a bank. Um, but as long as there's good standards around how business is done, I think uh, I think that's what's important. When we think then about the role of, of ethical investing, do you see it becoming sort of a mainstream thing or an evolving sector, or will it always be? You know, not quite a niche, but not the main investor universe. I think in the long long run, um, you know, we're looking for businesses that have certain standards and operate in a particular way. I, I I don't see a reason why all businesses can't do that. So you know, should there be a need for specialist ethical funds? I, I don't know that that's you know necessarily the case. I think all funds can operate, or all companies rather can operate in a way that meets those standards. Um, yeah, so I, I think in the long run, long run, it it does become more mainstream, and maybe one day even, you know, you don't need to call it an ethical fund because all companies will operate at a standard that that passes the test. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes on Air. Blue Notes on Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Mm-hmm.